Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to First Baptist Church in Rocky Top, Tennessee. Today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 13, actually just the very beginning of Acts chapter 13. That wasn't my original intention. I had intended to go much further into the book of Acts, but I found that as I was preparing and studying for this, I really just camped out on these first few opening verses. So my hope and prayer is that I'm able to communicate this in the way that God wants us to understand what was happening in the early church. As we continue to look at a church reborn, and this is really the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey, the commissioning by the early church of the first missionary journey. And most of us at one time or another have probably had conversations with co-workers, with our family, with friends, fellow church members about the state of the world and the direction that the world seems to be headed. Maybe we view this locally, maybe we view it as our nation, maybe we view it globally as the church, but still we have these conversations and a lot of the times it's very bleak. Certainly, even in my lifetime, I've seen rapid changes in society and things that were once almost universally regarded as sin or immoral are now being celebrated at the highest levels of society, government, and sometimes even certain churches. What's happened? What happened? It's a frequent question that's asked in frustration when these conversations take place. And I often tell people that I firmly believe we can trace all sin to deep spiritual issues and things that the Bible clearly reveals about humanity and what happens when we choose to live life in any fashion apart from God. But, and this is a really big but, in order to do that, people have to be biblically literate. I mean here that people have to know the Bible and what God has revealed, not just a handful of verses that can be used as slogans or kitchen decorations, but they really must know what the Bible teaches and have a desire to know it, to read it, and to understand it. And as I said, today's message comes from the book of Acts, and it begins to tell us the story of Paul's first missionary journey. It's in Acts chapter 13. Now, There's no question Paul had been preaching and had shared many Christ-centered messages and sermons and letters, but we begin to see some of the firsts in these pages of Scripture, and I'm sure that there's a good reason for this. There's a shift that takes place with the early church at this moment in which they begin to move ever outward, spreading the gospel with the understanding that coming to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior transforms the individual but it also transforms the world. It redeems the person, but as a result of that redemption and living out that Christian life, the whole world can begin to change. And I hope that maybe we can connect some of the concerns we have about our current culture and world to the world in which Paul and other Christians lived when they were proclaiming the gospel. And I have to say that this is perhaps not a message of comfort, but it's one that can provide some kind of hope by equipping us to confront the modern challenges that we face. And as we open the book of Acts to chapter 13, we read about the early church and preparing for Paul's missionary journey. And we learn some of the first people that were at this church at Antioch. This is chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now this is a special group of people. 
and it shows how Luke is continually building the case under God's inspiration that the church is for all and composed of all people, regardless of any ethical or ethnical, excuse me, or national boundaries. Now, Antioch is a unique place. Some of you may know this, but Antioch is the place at which believers in Christ were first called Christians. And it was likely meant originally as an insult, a derogatory term. It simply means little Christ, and again, was likely meant to convey that these believers were not fully Jesus, but they were just little versions of him. But the name stuck, and now we identify ourselves as this throughout the world. The church at Antioch is prepping the first commissioned missionary moment in the early church, and it's coming after a time of prayer and fasting. And this church here has a very diverse bunch. We learn of Barnabas. Now, we know some things about Barnabas from the Bible. Early in the book of Acts, were introduced to Barnabas, but his name was originally Joseph. It was a Greek form of Joseph. And the apostles altered his name to Barnabas. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. Encouragement was Barnabas's gift of sorts. So this became his nickname. And I think that this is such a sweet thing and also a goal that we can have to be an encourager. That's not easy to do. We're all so busy and so self-focused anymore that we forget to show interest in others and to encourage them. But the church needs people to encourage others, to lift them up and support them, to point out victories, and to help us navigate through setbacks that inevitably come. And Barnabas was this person, so much so that that was his nickname, a son of encouragement. And then we're introduced, or we're told about this person known as Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, this was the second person mentioned, and one thing we know, and the and one thing we know about this particular Simeon, and the other thing I will mention will be speculation, but Simeon was a black man because that was his nickname, Niger, which means black man. Political correctness had not been fully invented yet, so that's what they called him. And secondly, and this is the speculation part, some scholars believe that this was the Simon of Cyrene who helped carry the cross of Jesus on the way to Calvary. Now, there's no way to prove that biblically, but there is some church tradition that points to this being the case. But he was a very key person here at the Church of Antioch. Then we have Lucius of Cyrene, and we don't know as much about this person other than he's believed to be one of the founders of the Church at Antioch, and he also came from the continent of Africa. And then we have Manian. Now, this guy is interesting. We don't know a whole lot about him in Scripture outside of his name being mentioned here, but we're told that he's a lifelong friend of Saul, Paul, and that he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, or Herod Antipas. Now, you may or may not be familiar with Herod's from the Bible. Herod was a title of sorts, and Herod Antipas, referenced here, was known to be crazed and an unhinged sort of leader. Not necessarily stupid, but unhinged. And the word used to describe the relationship here between Herod Antipas and Manian, the missionary, is the word for a foster brother. In fact, the relationship is believed to have been so close that they were breastfed together. That's actually kind of the the connotation of the word that is used here to describe their relationship. But clearly, they had chosen very different paths in life. This Herod was the one who had killed John the Baptist while Manian gave his life to Jesus Christ 
and he goes on a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. So clearly somewhere along the way, very different decisions about life had been made between Herod Antipas and Manian. And so it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And Manian was certainly finishing very well. And finally, we have Saul, who we typically call the Apostle Paul, and we're very well acquainted with him. He's a Roman by law. He's a Roman legally. He's a Greek culturally. He's a Jew religiously. And now he's a Christian by the grace of God. He was legally a Roman citizen, and I know we talked about this in another message some time ago, but he was legally a Roman citizen because his father had Roman citizenship. So he was freeborn as a Roman citizen. He didn't have to purchase his Roman citizenship. He was born one, so he's legally a Roman. Culturally, as I say, he's a Greek. Later on in the book of Acts, one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible, he's going to stand up on the Areopagus in Athens, and he's going to quote two Greek philosophers just completely off the top of his head, no MacBook, no notes, no iPad. So he's a brilliant guy. He's well-read in Greek culture, Greek customs, and Greek literature. Religiously, he's a Jew trained as a rabbi at the feet of Gamaliel in Jerusalem. So you have all of these people, and now that we have the introductions here of who's going to come, who was in this early church, we read about what they were doing. And the wording here is interesting in these first few verses of Acts. We read that they were worshiping or ministering to the Lord. It's an interesting way that it, Luke words it here. Now, the translation that I just read, the English Standard, uh, English Standard Version, which I love, reads worshiping the Lord. Now, that's fine. But it's really better translated as ministering to the Lord. The Greek word here, and I'm probably not going to say it correctly, is liturgio. And we get our word liturgy from this word. Now, we Baptists don't use the word liturgy too much because it sounds very Catholic. And that scares some of us. But it's a great word that describes ministering. That what we do as a church, ministering here to the Lord. We offer up our obedience, we offer up our praise, our songs, our service, our everything to God out of worship to minister to Him because of His holiness. And this also helps keep our hearts and minds in the right frame of mind and heart. Many times throughout my ministry, I've heard people of all ages, young, old, everyone in between, they'll say something to the effect of, we're visiting here to see what the church has to offer, or to maybe see if there's something that we will like. Now, I always try to be kind in these situations when people say these things to me, and in some form or another, this is a conversation that I have had many, many times with people, even since I've been here at First Baptist. But this shows such a fundamental misunderstanding of what God has designed the church to be. And we read this opening of scripture by learning about the church at Antioch. Antioch is also called the cradle of Christianity. It's a really interesting place, and it's again where the believers were first called Christians. And again, the section that we're looking at today is the first commissioning of missionaries. The word for church is ecclesia, meaning called out ones. Originally, the idea of a church, even in the Greek New Testament, the original idea was a group of people called out. And the reason I want to bring this up is to help us to understand and disciple us into remembering that the church is not a place, it's a people. So you've heard that, and I know that we know that, 
But we often hear people say, you know, I'm going to go to church today. I say that all the time. But what we're actually doing is we're going to a place where the church will be gathered. You see, you and I, as believers in Christ, as blood-bought redeemers in Christ, we are the church, and we will gather together. This building that surrounds us is not the church. It's a very nice brick building that we're thankful for, but it's not the church. And I love to remind myself, and this is so beautiful, it just makes my heart so happy, that when we gather together, we join countless other redeemed people throughout the world who were worshiping the Lord Jesus, worshiping in different languages, singing old songs without music, singing new songs with music, learning from old, very dynamic preachers, or maybe young, monotonous ones. But we, the church, we come together, we come to a building, and we gather in unity and love under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So when people say, what does the church have to offer? They're asking the wrong question. What they should be asking is, what do I have to offer the church? And having this understanding and then putting into an action transforms our worship. And it's also refreshing and encouraging for small churches or for struggling churches because those believers in small churches still play an enormous role in the kingdom work of God. And as we read on here, the next verse, we read, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called him. So God the Holy Spirit moved among the people to identify Barnabas and Saul as the two primary people for this upcoming missionary journey. And then they laid hands on them and they sent them off. Now, there's nothing magical here, but it was a recognition of what God had already made clear in the lives of Barnabas and Saul. They were gifted. They were deeply gifted to share the gospel and do missionary work. And as a result, we often follow this model in the church. I've had just the, the privilege and the blessing of being a part of several of these ordination services where you lay hands on a person and pray for them. And, and I'll confess here to you, if you'll allow just a moment of complete transparency, at first I thought it was going to be kind of odd, kind of weird, and not really accustomed to that sort of thing. But it ended up being so special and so meaningful that when a person is ordained or commissioned, many in the church will pray and they'll place their hands on that person. And it's showing again a recognition that God has set aside and chosen that person or maybe a group of people for a special work of God. It's a beautiful model to follow. And I pray and I hope that this church in the years to come will have the divine privilege of ordaining people for the work of the kingdom in a special way, like we're witnessing right here in Acts 13. And finally, in this section of Scripture, we read that they fasted. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to present an unusual challenge to this church. But right now, we need to ask, what was the purpose of fasting? So fasting, to many modern Christians, is a foreign concept. And sometimes we even make fun of it. But I'll be the first to admit that you could count on one hand how many times in my life I have done fasting for spiritual reasons. But fasting is usually accompanied with prayer, and it's just simply to abstain from food for a period of time to become more reliant and focused on God, to take our eyes off the things of the world and put them squarely and intently 
on the things of God. So here Barnabas and Paul are sent out on the first commissioned missionary journey of the church. They started in Syria, they moved to Cyprus, and then on, on to Asia Minor. They experienced challenges and opposition, but they never wavered in their commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look more at their first missionary journey and future messages and the other missionary journeys. But Paul, as he goes on these, always had a certain strategy. He believed the gospel goes first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. And so we see this pattern already that will start in the book of, or in the chapter of Acts 13. He begins in the synagogues where the Jews would be, and he speaks to the Jews. And so often they want nothing to do with them or with him and the gospel. So he'll, then he'll go and he'll share it with the Gentiles who seem eager to hear the message. So it's the religious folks, tragically, who often become his enemies. And this happens time and time again. So what are some takeaways from this message? Well, one, we are given a model for missions. So we can see the heart the early church had for missions in this short segment of scripture in the book of Acts. So first we see the local church was a priority. As I keep saying, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. That's Acts 2.42. Again, just something I feel God has laid on my heart to really be the vision for this church, First Baptist Rocky Top. And so the early church, they were ministering to the local communities. And of course, we're zeroing in at the church of Antioch right now. They were sharing the gospel. They were meeting the needs of the community. We've read about them serving widows and establishing deacons to serve those needs, going and preaching in the local synagogues. And on and on, we see Jesus growing his church in these areas. So please always remember, and this is something I have to keep reminding myself anytime I get discouraged, it is Jesus who grows his church, and he uses us to be obedient in service to him to help make that happen. But we also see here an emphasis on spreading the gospel to unreached groups. You know, there's sometimes, and there often is, an in-house debate on the issue with churches with this question, should we focus on local missions or should we send people out for missions across the state, across the country, or even the world? Now, it's a, it's a valid question. And now here's what I believe the biblical model is. God allows a church to be planted locally in an area to reach that community. So I do believe that God in his divine providence and in his grace has allowed First Baptist Church to be planted here in Rocky Top, Tennessee. And once there is a vibrant ministry in reaching that community, I believe God opens the door to expand the scope and reach and influence of that church, often beyond its community. Now, you should ask, where do you get this idea, Pastor Chris? You know, never just let me say things without making sure I'm following Scripture. So I'm glad you asked me that question. I get it from the words of Jesus in the first chapter of Acts. Acts 1-8, Jesus is talking right before he ascends into heaven. He's been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's about to ascend into heaven. He says this, talking to his disciples in the early church, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and listen to this, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end 
of the earth. You know, I firmly believe Jesus was very intentional here in the word order he used. Start in Jerusalem, where you are right now, church, and then work ever outwards to the end of the earth. And at some point, I believe we do start sending people out and supporting missions throughout the world. Churches ought to do both local and global missions. There used to be a commercial that I loved, and it advertised tacos. I love tacos, which is why I liked the commercial. And there was this family, and they were about to have supper, and they were debating the great theological question, do we have hard shell or soft shell tacos? And the argument continues, and it's very dramatic, like there's being some big thing with the family, this huge division and civil war that's taking place between whether or not we're going to have hard shell or soft shell tacos. And finally, this sweet little girl stands up, and she says, Por qué no los dos? Which just simply means, why not both? Por qué no los dos? Why not both? And then she presents a box that contains both hard and soft shell tacos, bringing the battle to an end. Now, granted, it's a simple illustration, but it's one that I believe we need to follow. Support both local and global missions. And may I say and compliment you, we do this as a church through the cooperative program. It's a wonderful thing where all thousands of churches pull their resources together and they support missionaries throughout the world through our giving. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that our denomination does, and I'm so happy that we support it as a church. So first of all, we're given a model here for missions. Secondly, as the church, I want us to pray. There's a model here for us to pray for God to raise up people in this church to be ministers of the gospel. You know, not simply the local church, but when you look at churches collectively, I think we have somewhat of a leadership crisis in the church. In fact, there's some statistics here where pastors are getting older and they're retiring and there's no one there to fill the gap. There's no young groups of people there to fill the gap. It's not just in small churches like ours, it's in churches of all sizes. We have a lot of people who are willing to come and sit and get but that's as far as it goes. Now, don't get me wrong. I want people to come here, and I want people to sit, and I want us to be receivers of truth and to be discipled and understand the deep treasures of God. That's so important. But, you know, it isn't so much that people are not coming forward and saying, hey, put me in the pulpit or send me to another country, though we need that too. Rather, it's once a person leaves the church, they see almost no connection on how their relationship with Jesus affects every single thing that they do. But God has always been about turning disciples into people who will go and make other disciples. You know that the word disciple means a follower. It's an an inherent, a student of something. But then there's the word apostolos, which means one who is sent. So God is about turning disciples into people who are apostolos, people who are sent into the world. And so at some point in your life, as you take in truth, as you understand scripture, as you grow, as you learn, at some point, if you don't get sent somewhere, even locally in town, to do something and to share your gifts with others, you become 
kind of spiritually fat and kind of a sassy believer, some people may say, obese spiritually. You take in, but you never exercise and, and, and pour out to other people the truth of God's grace. And that's what he wants us to do. And that's the model that we see here in Acts 13. And so the Holy Spirit wants to send people out to this community. This past July 4th, just this past Tuesday, I want to commend you and I want to encourage you. We did this in a small way. We sent people out. We set up at the ball field for the community event and we interacted with hundreds of people. We gave them sweet treats that were prepared by you all, the people of this church, and a simple information flyer about this church. But most importantly, and this is key here, and I want you to understand that this is important. Most importantly, they saw that we are a Christ-like presence in this community, and we love them. We love them, and we care about them. Now, it may take a long time for those seeds to take root, but I do believe that seeds were most certainly planted, and we were obedient in serving God in this community. Now, I said a moment ago I was going to give us a challenge, so here it is. Here it is. We need to have Sunday school in place for our families that are visiting this church and for children and for youth. I believe a strong way to grow the church is through the relationships that take place in Sunday school and the discipleship that takes place there. And I believe we need four classes total. We need one for children, one for youth, and two more for adults. And the women, of course, already have a good Sunday school class that are in place. And I really think that these need to be in place by the 1st of September. So in light of this message of commissioning people for the work of the Lord, I want to challenge this church to follow the early church model this week and pray and fast. Now, please don't panic. One day this week, this is what I encourage you to do. For a period of time, I want to encourage you to fast and pray for the ministry needs of this church, for God to send us people that we can minister to and people that will come here to serve and for Sunday school teachers. Choose any day you want, any time period you want, but I want to encourage you to do it. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. So I plan on doing it for a 24-hour period. And during those times when I'm hungry, and I know I'm going to get hungry because I like to eat. During those times when I'm hungry, I'm going to use that time to go find a place and to pray and commune with God for these things. And I'm not going to ask you if you've done it next week, and I want you to be clear, there's no biblical command necessarily to do it, but I believe it's a profitable and enriching practice for us to do. And that, I believe, is how God wants to send us out right now for his glory in this community, is to establish those ministries to the church and to really view it as a ministry. Sunday school is a ministry, teaching adults, teaching children, building relationships with families in this community. That is a ministry. And I really do believe with all my heart that's what God wants us to do right now. And so I'll go ahead and close out the message. I'll confess that when I first started this, and I know I touched on this earlier, that I planned on covering the entire chapter of Acts 13. But as I went through this and prepared, God kept my focus on these three verses and I believe it's because he's calling us to prepare ourselves for serving this community by being sent out to this community. Now, you may think we're too small at this moment to be sent out across the world. And in fact, I would agree with you, which is why I believe and feel that God is sending us out in the context of reaching Rocky Top, Tennessee. Now, there's a verse from John 20:21, 20, and most of you could probably finish this statement from the mouth of Jesus. 
he said to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. My prayer is that we will realize God has a high calling for us, and the work so many of you have done over the years has never been in vain. Please know that, that many of you have been here for decades serving and working, oftentimes quietly, no one ever knowing what you've done, and that has never been in vain. And let's continue that great calling that God has given us by communing with God in prayer, bringing us closer to his heart so that we can see what his desire is for us to serve him in this church. Pray with me if you would, church. Heavenly Father, as always, we thank you for giving us these models from Scripture on how the early church was obedient to you, how they prayed, how they fasted, and how they sought your will in any and every decision that they made. God, I pray for the community of Rocky Top that you will call people to salvation, that you would draw them to you and to us at First Baptist Church so that we can minister to them, disciple them, and lead them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Please put on our hearts the desire to serve you, knowing that we may have to stretch ourselves and give up some of our time to be obedient to you and the high calling that you have given us. Thank you for Barnabas and Paul and the sacrificial journey they took to share the gospel with the world. In Jesus' name, amen.